No, but it's all right. Okay. Uh, welcome to the uh, computer security seminar from uh, uh, Purdue University. Uh, of course, if you are here in the um, um, room, you already know that we're at uh, Purdue University. However, uh, this is also uh, uh, this is also being webcast. Uh, today's speaker is uh, 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 Jason Crampton. He's from the uh, Information Security Group at uh, Royal Holloway of the uh, University of London, and he he um, will speak today on. Uh, at uh, at um, at uh, administrative uh, scope and uh, ro role based at uh, administration. Jason, thank you. Um, can you all hear me? Okay. Uh, well, it's a great pleasure to be here, and um, I'd like to thank Professor Bettina for her kind invitation to speak here. Um, it's uh, not every day you get to talk at such a um, prestigious uh, university, so um, I hope I uh, do give you an interesting presentation. So I'm, I'm going to talk about um, some work I did while I was doing my doctorate, um, which subsequently got published uh, in ACM Transactions on Information Systems Security. <coughs> um, and it's, um, it's about an administrative model for role-based access control. Uh, and it was motivated by my um, study of AR back 97, which is, which at the time was the only administrative model for role-based access control. And I felt it had a number of shortcomings, and um, I set out to address those. And uh, I guess you can judge whether I've been successful or not. Um, so <clears throat> this is what I'm going to talk about. Um, the first thing I'm going to do is just briefly explain what access control is. Um, this will be very brief, because uh, I'm sure most of you already know. But just so, just so you know where I'm coming from with access control. Um, <clears throat> and just a little bit about why we need to have an administrative model at all. Then I'll talk about administrative scope, which is uh, the building block for um, a variety of models that I developed for role-based access control. Um, then um, talk about this admin authority relation which is used to enrich the idea of administrative scope and um, finally talk about how this is used for role-based administration, how you administer the role hierarchy and how you make changes to the assignment of users and permissions to roles. Then um, depending on time, um, I'm, I'm, I thought I had an hour but I've only got 45 minutes so um, some of these later sections may get truncated or omitted altogether. But I will try and give you some kind of feeling for why I think um, one of the models I developed is better than ARBAC 97. And I'll also talk a little bit, if I have time, about more complex role-based access control models and how we might administer those. Okay, so access control. Um, I'm sure you all know this, but it's really a mechanism to ensure that only the right users get to use computer resources. Now, of course, if, if you don't care who accesses your resources, 
you don't need access control. Um, and the early standalone PCs were, didn't bother with it. Um, it's really in uh, um, file sharing situations and network computers and stuff that you need some kind of access control. And um, we have it to limit access, as I already suggested, to sensitive information. And it works by associating users with certain resources and access rights, those, those resources and, and those ways of accessing those resources that they're entitled to. <clears throat> and uh, in a little bit more detail, a user gets authenticated and at that stage is provided with some kind of security context. Um, it varies from uh, operating system to application to whatever. But typically you'll get some kind of security identifier bound to that user and that identifier is used to establish uh, whether a user request to access some resource is allowed. And it does it by comparing the object identifier in the request with the subject identifier, the, the user's identifier. And uh, depending on the mechanism that's involved, like access control lists or whatever, will uh, result in a decision of that access control query. So that's, um, roughly speaking, what I take access control to be. Um, so as a, as a concrete example, which I'm sure you're all aware of, there's a very famous model uh, from the early sort of mid-70s called the protection matrix model. And um, basically, you arrange users, well, proxies for users, subjects they usually refer to, more modern terminology is perhaps principles. Uh, you have a matrix, a two-dimensional array, indexed by subjects and objects, the resources that you want to protect, and the entries in the matrix indicate what access is permitted uh, by that subject for that object. So uh, an access request is typically modeled as a triple. This subject wants to access this object in a particular way, so I might want to read a particular file, for example. And this request is permitted if that access right is in the corresponding matrix entry. Very simple sort of idea. And this model has, has proved surprisingly long-lived and provides a theoretical basis for things like access control lists, which we see in modern operating systems. <clears throat> now, um, we'll turn to the sort of focus of this talk, which is administration. What, what does this mean? Well, at any particular point in time, you have um, a snapshot of the authorization, authorization information in the system. And you might refer to this as configurational state. It depends which papers you read. Um, it was introduced by Bell Lapidula um, because they wanted to have a, a state transition model, essentially. So it was important to see how these states evolved over time. These states evolve by changing aspects of the authorization information. So in the context of protection matrix model, you might add an entry to the matrix, for example. <clears throat> so um, unless you have some notion of changing state, um, the, the, you've got a static system, and it becomes impossible to add users, add resources, or change the access rights available to users. So you really need to have some way of changing state. And uh, I'm going to use administration as a generic sort of term for doing this, for changing components of the system. 
Um, so, again, if, if, you, if you never need to change your security configuration, then you don't need administration. But typically, you will need that, and you will need some kind of administrative model which controls updates to these various access control data structures. So, again, just going back to the protection matrix model, the dynamic components in this model would include the set of subjects. You might want to add a new user, for example, or indeed delete one. Set of objects, you might want to add resources or delete them. And also elements in the matrix. You might want to add the privilege to read a file, etc., etc., or indeed take them away. Um, the set of access rights is assumed to be static in the protection matrix model. And now administration is, is achieved, or changes to state are achieved by commands. Uh, they're, they're basically, you can imagine them just as, as C-style function calls or whatever, and these just change um, the matrix. And this is, again, is assumed for any given system, is assumed to be fixed. So the set of commands is static, set of access rights is static, but these other aspects, the, the matrix entries, set of subjects, set of objects, are assumed to be dynamic. So just as an example, you might want to transfer an, an access right A from one subject uh, S to another subject T. So if A, A standing for an administrative subject, wants to transfer this read or R access right from S to T, uh, the access control system would check, first of all, that the administrative subject owns this object. And if that is the case, and if S already has the read access, then it deletes it from that entry and, and transfers it to the other one. So if you have this configuration of the matrix and um, A attempted to transfer this access right, it would succeed and you'd end up with this new configuration. So this is all trivial. This is all really, really boring and you should all be familiar with this. Uh, just as a, an aside, uh, if you start having administrative um, capabilities in a model, you are heading for problems. So you want systems which have administrative flexibility. You want systems where you can reason about security and preservation of security properties. But if you do allow changes to the configuration of even simple models and even simple changes, you will then end up with considerable difficulty analyzing um, the security properties, how this configuration may evolve. And um, Harrison Rutzel and Allman and other people studied the protection matrix quite extensively in the late 70s. Uh, since then, there have been a variety of different models proposed and um, analyses of the safety problem in those models. And um, typically, it, it's difficult, um, often undecidable, nearly, very often, if it's not undecidable, it's intractable. So that, that's really sort of an aside, but the point is that if you, if you have administration, um, unless you constrain it in certain ways, it becomes difficult to anticipate how your system will evolve. So again, just a, a, a small amount of revision, role-based access control, I, I believe most of you will be somewhat familiar with this idea. Um, it was basically introduced to um, alleviate administrative burden, in fact, um, rather than having to deal with this um, huge access control matrix or even access control lists, um, you would have these sort of placeholders called roles 
to which you would assign uh, users, and you would also assign users uh, permissions, access rights, if you like, to these roles. So um, the idea was that, or the intuition was, that the number of roles would be significantly less than either the number of users or the number of access rights or permissions that were involved. And this, this was confirmed by a study when um, a large German bank, Dresdner Bank, um, did indeed uh, implement a role-based system and found that the, uh, the fraction, it was a fraction of the number of users, the number of roles that was required. So there is uh, empirical evidence to suggest that role-based access control is, is not a bad thing in terms of um, alleviating the amount of work you have to do in maintaining access control data structures. So what is it? Well, um, this is a description of RBAC 96 due to uh, Ravi Sandhu. I mean, other, other people, David Faraolo, who I think spoke here last year, uh, and uh, a number of other people, were all having the same sort of ideas at around the same time. Uh, Ravi Sandhu probably um, just wrote it down better, but somehow this model is the one that's stuck and has been the foundation for the NIST standard which came out earlier this year on our back. So you have a partially ordered set of roles, uh, which models a role hierarchy. This in turn is supposed to represent to some, in some way the, the roles, the, the functions within the organization. So you might have a role like cashier or finance clerk or finance administrator. And you would organize these roles in a hierarchy to reflect the enterprise hierarchy and the seniority within that enterprise. You have a set of users, you have a set of permissions. I'm not going to dwell on what permissions are. Um, it's, they're slightly mysterious. Um, the, the, the literature tends to say we treat them as uninterpreted symbols because they, they don't want to be specific about the application that role-based access control might be used for. So we have these permissions which somehow allow users to do things, but we won't worry quite what the internal structure of these permissions are. You have a user role assignment relation which associates users with roles. And similarly, you have a permission role assignment relation which associates permissions with roles. So as I've said, role hierarchies are there to reflect the enterprise structure. And um, it's also been claimed that they uh, can facilitate um, or simplify, well, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly tenuous claim. They say that this helps the separation of duty constraints. It merely just it becomes obvious from the, the hierarchy what, what things perhaps ought to be in separation of duty. Um, but that, that's a, a whole different story. But the, the, one of the main reasons for having role hierarchies is that it further reduces the number of assignments you have to make because you have this idea of implicit assignment if you've got, um, well, there's an example on the next slide. So this, this is the theory. I'll show you a picture which will hopefully make it clear what's going on. So this is a typical role hierarchy. If you've read any of the literature, you will recognize this picture. Uh, this is taken from uh, one of Ravi Sandhu's papers. Uh, and it, it, it represents some kind of uh, enterprise. And you have two different projects you have a project leader, one, a project engineer, a quality engineer, and, a, and a, an engineer associated on one side of this hierarchy. And you can imagine this is subscript this with the two on the other side, perhaps. So what's going on? If I'm assigned to PL1, then I can access 
all the roles below that in the hierarchy. So I'm somehow implicitly assigned to all these roles. If a permission P is assigned to, say, QE1, quality engineer 1, then that permission percolates up the hierarchy and is available for all senior roles. So the sort of punchline is that I can use this permission. All right? If someone, say, Kenny, a colleague of mine, was assigned to um, production engineer 1, then he wouldn't be able to use uh, this permission P because project engineer 1 doesn't in, isn't included in this, this upper uh, region above QE1. So, uh, it's all too late. I'm, I'm already struggling for time. So, role-based administration. What are the dynamic components? Remember I said when we looked at the protection matrix, we need to identify what, 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 we, need to, what we may need to change, and then we need to think about how we're going to control those changes. So we have a set of roles and a partial order. That's the role hierarchy. We have a user role assignment relation, and we have a permission role assignment relation. Okay, so what will we need to do? Well, for each of these things, we may need to add or delete things. So we may need to change the role hierarchy by adding or deleting an edge. We may want to change the underlying set of roles in the hierarchy. We may need to change user role assignments, and we may need to change permission role assignments. Fairly, fairly straightforward. But this kind of thought experiment, so it's perhaps too grandiose a term for it, is, is worth doing. You know, it's worth saying, what have I got in my model? And, and what do I need to change? And how do I, what things, how would those things change? So this is, the, this is the hard slide in the talk. And you can sort of shut your eyes and hope it goes away, which it will in a minute. This is the formal definition of administrative scope. And this is the building block for all the role-based administrative models that I've developed. Um, I'm not going to try and explain it. If you, if you take this away and it's available on the web, you can, you can go away and think about it. Um, this is a much more accessible slide. So what is it? All right. So the idea is that the administ administrative scope is a set of roles which, if you make changes to them, it's only felt locally in some way. Um, and if, if a role is, is in the administrative scope of an administrative role A, then all roles greater than or equal to that role are in some sense bounded by A. And when you see a picture, this will become clear. But I'm claiming that this is a, a natural unit of administration for this role A. So if we go back to this picture <clears throat> and we look at the administrative scope of PL1, it goes like this. I'm going to show you a role which isn't in the administrative scope of PL1 first. So let's take this, this role here, EMP. And if you look at the, the, the roles above EMP, you get this region. If you look at the roles above PL1, you get that region. This is what you get left. If, if you take one from the other, if you do a set difference, this is what you get left with. If you look at the downset of PL1, the things that sort of PL1 can see underneath it, you get that. The problem is that this doesn't contain all the things above EMP that aren't taken out by PL1 upset. So the, 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 the punchline is that this role is not in the administrative scope of PL1. And the basic problem is that 
although it goes up there and through PL1, it also goes up through here. And PL1 doesn't really have anything to say about that side of the hierarchy. So just quickly, if we look at PE1, that's the upset of PE1, that's the upset of PL1, that's the set difference. It's nicely contained in the downset of PL1. Okay, therefore, it's in the administrative scope of PL1. And finally, if you actually do all the, the faffing around in the calculations, that's what you end up with for the administrative scope of PL1. So this is the set of roles that I claim is a sensible set of roles that for PL1 to administer. I don't believe this. It should be administering this one because changes made to this will have impacts over here. And PL1 doesn't really, shouldn't really be having anything to say about those aspects of the role hierarchy. Now, one of the nice things about administrative scope, um, and I'll, I'll come back to this when I talk about its comparison with AR back 97, is that it's dynamic. If you make changes to the hierarchy, administrative scope will sort of, it will adapt, it will compensate. So if you were to add a new role into this hierarchy, the administrative scope of PL1 naturally changes. Now QE1 has an alternative upset. It also goes through X as well as through PL1. And PL1 can't cope with that. So QE1 and E1 both drop out of the administrative scope of PL1. But if you add Y, just dangling off the bottom of PE1, that's fine. Everything going up from Y somehow is, is controlled by PL1. So Y would be okay, would stay in the administrative scope of PL1. So how can we use this? So we've got this, we've got this idea which somehow identifies um, nice blocks in the hierarchy. How do we put it to use? So um, you get this family of administrative models built around this concept, and it were, they were explicitly designed to interoperate with RBAC 96, which when I started this work was the sort of de facto standard for role-based access control. And initially, I focused on role hierarchy administration. Th this was really based on the observation that um, ARBAC 97, the, the main competitor, if you like, or the, the inspiration, the motivation for this work, started with the simple bits. It started with user role assignment, permission role assignment. And then when it tried to deal with role, uh, role hierarchy administration, it ran into slight problems of interoperability with these existing models. So I thought I'd do the difficult bit first and then plug in the easy bits. So <clears throat> how does this work? Well, as I said earlier, you've got four basic operations you might want to perform uh, related to the set of roles and role, um, the role hierarchy. So these are the various operations. Um, and I, I don't think I really need to say anything more about them. The, the only one perhaps that's worth saying something about is add role where I um, insert a role into the hierarchy and I specify as parameters of this operation the child, ch children of this role and the parents of this role. Um, this is slightly non-standard. Um, uh, ARBAC 97 says you can have a single parent and a single child. Uh, you must have a single parent and a single child. I say I don't care. Um, I can have an empty set for one of these sets. So 
for example, I'm quite happy to create this role Y. And indeed, I think you should be able to create roles like Y. You shouldn't have to specify a child role for Y. Um, but apart from that, these are pretty much as you'd expect. A is the, is the sort of common uh, parameter in these operations. That's the administrative role who's performing the operation. So what are the conditions for these operations to succeed? Well, they're all based on administrative scope, unsurprisingly. Um, so add edge is fine if both the child and the parent of the two roles are in the administrative scope. Delete edge, the same. Add role is okay, but there's a slight restriction. The set of children has to be a subset of the strict administrative scope. If you actually think about administrative scope, you will find that uh, the administrative scope of A always contains A itself. So the strict administrative scope doesn't include A. It excludes A. So I don't want, um, I don't want to include A in the children. But otherwise, uh, and equally if I delete a role, I don't want it deleting itself. So, let's suppose we want to add this edge. PL1 can't do this because the, the parent role is not in the administrative scope. DIR can do this. The administrative scope of DIR conveniently is the whole hierarchy. So that would be permissible. And um, the, again, the intuition is PL1 shouldn't be tampering with this role over here. It's not, it's not part of his administrative scope, basically. It's not part of his uh, area of responsibility. Um, just, uh, I just note in passing, this edge can't be added in ARBAC 97 by any role. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, this role, well, again, PL1 can't add this role. Um, it creeps outside of uh, its administrative scope. DIR specifically is not in the administrative scope. DIR can add this role, as you might expect. Cannot be added in AR back 97 again. Um, I'll come back to that. If we look at this role, this is fine. P <coughs> PL1 can add this. Uh, this is just like that picture where I added Y earlier. This is fine. Can't be added in AR back 97. <coughs> so that's all very well. That was um, the basic model, uh, which I called RHA1. There were a couple of intermediate models, which basically, the, the observation with RHA1 is that what you end up with is relatively junior roles, like this role here, for example, actually has a non-empty administrative scope. Specifically, this is the administrative scope of this role. And you probably don't really want such junior roles having any administrative capabilities. So there are a number of ways of getting around this. Oops. Um, one of them is to define administrative permissions, and you can only do it. You can only do a, um, uh, an administrative operation if you've got the right permission and it's in administrative scope. That's one way of doing it. So there was a couple of little tweaks, <clears throat> but RHA4 is a sort of departure from those, and th this model um, rests on the idea of this admin authority relation. And this is an alternative way of limiting the administrative roles in your system. And it's used to define administrative roles. Um, now, of course, if you introduce this new relation, admin authority, you have to ask yourself the question, is this a dynamic or a static component of my model? Um, 
it's only fair because I've criticised other models for not asking this question. I ought to I ought to ask it and I ought to answer it. So um, in, within RHA four, you can change the admin authority relation as well. So just um, this is really just um, the extended hierarchy is just a convenient way of thinking about the administrative uh, admin authority relation. Um, it, it's it's um, it's a binary relation on a set of roles, so I don't actually make any distinction here between administrative roles and roles. Um, so it can be thought of as just an edge. So I sort of add some extra edges into the role hierarchy based on this admin authority relation. But it's important to realize that administrative capability does not imply permission. Okay, there is a distinction here which is often missed in... Uh, access control models. Just because you have the authority to change things doesn't mean you have the permission to, to actually exercise the, the, these authorizations. So this would be an example. You now, instead of just having um, a role hierarchy, you have some additional roles, uh, like a departmental security officer, DSO, like a project security officer, PSO. <coughs> Excuse me. And you, um, you have these tuples, uh, or pairs in the admin authority relation, which define... Is there a, can you see the distinction between the red and the black lines? It's not obvious from me here. Um, I hope it comes out okay on the, uh, the TV camera. Um, so you get these additional lines in the hierarchy. So just some terminology. Um, if you have an edge, A, R, in admin authority relation then we, we call A an administrative role, just for convenience to give, it, to give it a name. And we also say that A controls R. So we can talk about the set of roles controlled by A. Um, it's the set of pairs A, R. Uh, Taken over the set, whole set R. So the administrative scope now of A is determined not just by the role R. Before... If, um, when we, we talked about administrative scope in RHA1, this would have just been A, this would have just been A. We've now replaced this with the roles controlled by A. And the strict administrative scope is obtained by taking away those roles it controls. So what does this look like? Well, in a very simple example, uh, you end up with, again, the natural, if you like, uh, unit of administration for PSO1. Because... PSO1 only controls PL1, <clears throat> so the administrative scope of PSO1 is, is simply the administrative scope of PL1. Now, an interesting point to note is that RHA1 is actually a special case of RHA4, because what you can do is simply define for each role in the um, hierarchy um, the pair RR. Okay. So... Um, Hierarchy operations work just the same. Um, if you want to change the admin authority relation, that's fine too. Um, but um, the, the second part of the pair that you add to this relation has to be in the strict administrative scope. But otherwise, um, it all works fine. Um, well, I say it all works fine. There, there are a couple of things that need to be tidied up. There, there, if you start um, changing this admin authority relation, if you start changing the role hierarchy, 
then um, there are certain side effects that uh, you need to take into consideration. I'll talk about those a bit later. So, um, we now want to talk about user role assignment and permission role assignment. Well, this is quite straightforward. We've now got um, a model for role hierarchy administration. We've got this concept of administrative scope. <clears throat> um, to assign a user to a role, it's simply sufficient for this role to belong to the administrative scope of A. Um, now, you might want a slightly richer um, model for controlling assignments of users to roles. And ARBAC 97 has these relations which um, specify some preconditions that have to be satisfied before a user can be assigned to a role. Um, well, this is, this is quite straightforward in, uh, in, 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 my, in my model as well. Um, you, you basically define a set of prerequisite roles uh, which acts as in the same way as this constraint C in the can assign relation of ARBAC 97. Um, basically, this, this constraint C said that um, a user would have to be assigned to each of the roles specified in C. There are, there are some slight subtleties um, in the can assign relation, um, which I don't want to go into here. There isn't really enough time. But you can certainly simulate a lot of what ARBAC 97 does with this can assign relation using this idea of prerequisite roles. <clears throat> so what is ARBAC 97? Um, well, it was the first attempt at um, a role-based administrative model. Um, and it's, it's, it, it has been influential. It identified all the important issues um, and had a, a pretty good stab at, at solving them. Um, but as we'll see in subsequent slides, I think it did have some shortcomings. Um, it, it was broken down into three sub-models, um, one for user role assignment, one for permission role assignment, and one for uh, what you might call role-role assignment or role hierarchy operations. So um, we'd, the, the, the model that I developed and ARBAC 97 have some similarities. Um, they were both designed to interoperate with ARBAC 96. As I said before, this was the the natural role-based model to use <clears throat> at the time. Um, they were, the intention was to somehow decentralize administration to give certain administrative roles responsibility for certain parts of the hierarchy. Um, this was to get away from this idea of a super user or a super role that could control the whole hierarchy. Um, and we both attempt to use structural properties of the role hierarchy to determine whether an administrative operation should succeed. Um, now, the basic unit of administration in ARBAC 97 is something called an encapsulated range. And encapsulated ranges, I think, are fair to say, it's fair to say that they're really not very easy to work with. Basically, they're, they're a self-contained sub-hierarchy with a unique minimal element and a unique maximal element. And there aren't that many role hierarchies that have such sub-hierarchies, which really limits the applicability of ARBAC 97. And I'll, I'll have some more to say about that in a minute. Um, th this, incidentally, is why you can't... So many of those operations that were fine in, in my model just don't work in ARBAC 97, because they break encapsulated ranges, basically. 
But, but firstly, let me just talk a little bit about completeness. By that I mean, have you addressed all the um, uh, components of your model? Have you made sure that you identified which are dynamic, which are static, and that you can change the ones that are dynamic? Well, um, ARBAC 97 introduces five relations which um, are all static. Now, uh, it's not obvious that you want to do this. You might well want to change your administrative setup. So I claim that these probably should be dynamic, um, but they're not in ARBAC 97. Um, so in the RHA model, all these relations are dynamic. All the RBAC 96 relations are dynamic, as is the only relation I introduced, which is admin authority. So what about coherence? How does it all sort of fit together? Well, there are some problems with RBAC 97, as I hinted at earlier. Um, that they sort of hit the easy targets first. They, they, they um, looked at user role assignment and permission role assignment. And they, they adopted a, a rather arbitrary way of doing it, which was um, if, you, if this role, if this user, sorry, satisfies some precondition, then he or she can be assigned to some role in this range. Well, that's fine on its own. But if you then fold in some hierarchy operations, what happens to those constraints in the URA 97 relations, the can assign relation, for example? Well, it's not clear. Um, the, the ARBAC 97 model glosses over this. So um, this, is, this is not ideal. So um, <clears throat> the, the idea of actually deciding what the natural unit of administration would be and then building your administrative model in terms of those, that primitive administrative scope, in other words, um, is a more natural way of getting a more <coughs> excuse me, coherent model Oh, well, so I would claim anyway. Well, I suppose I would, wouldn't I? I developed it. Um, applicability. Well, I think I've already shown that very often. I mean, bearing in mind, I wasn't using my own example. I was using Ravi Sandhu's example of a hierarchy. Um, there were precious few uh, operations you could actually do on that hierarchy using ARBAC 97. You just simply can't. Um, the, 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 the two blobs... Um, on either side of the hierarchy, uh, representing different projects, are encapsulated ranges. But you can't change those. You can't, you can't do anything that would stop those being encapsulated ranges. Which means if you take away, if you try and put in something which isn't gonna, is gonna leave it without a maximal element or a minimal element within that sub-hierarchy, you're not allowed to do it. Um, so, this is problematic. Um, you need hierarchies that can contain encapsulated ranges, which is difficult <coughs> enough. Any tree-like structure, for example, which is a natural, fairly naturally occurring beast in, uh, in organizations, um, you can't, there are no encapsulated ranges in a tree-like hierarchy because there's no unique minimal element. Okay, so you add a minimal element, but then you've only got one big encapsulated range, the whole hierarchy. So it really... It's really dubious how much use ARBAC 97 is. Um, it's interesting to note as a sort of, sort of in passing that um, if you have got an encapsulated range, then it appears as the administrative scope of some role. So 
if there are encapsulated ranges, we can pick them out. They will be the administrative scope of some role, um, which suggests that RHA4 is going to be more useful. Or, well, certainly it's going to have... Um, it's going to be more widely applicable. You may argue that you may want to nail down your administration and you actually don't want to allow very much, but that perhaps depends on the application. So as I'm, I sort of skipped a slide, you also have to preserve encapsulated ranges. You can't break any whenever you perform a hierarchy operation in ARBAC 97. And as we've seen in earlier slides, this stops you from doing quite a lot of things. So not only are you limited to hierarchies you can start with, you're limited in what you can do to the hierarchies that you can handle. Um, in contrast, uh, administrative scope is dynamic. It, it will just bend and, and adapt when you make changes to hierarchy. Um, I mean, if you keep making changes, like, it's likely that you'll fracture the administrative scope and, and you'll end up with very small administrative scopes. But, well, you should take more care about how you change your hierarchy, perhaps. But the point is that you can, you can do it. Whether you should is, is another question. So one of the objections to um, RBAC 96 is that you have this percolation of permissions up the hierarchy, which means that roles at the top of the hierarchy have all the permissions. And a number of researchers, particularly perhaps in, in Britain, have said that this is probably a bad thing. Now, we, we recognize the dangers of super users who, who, are, who are too powerful. Um, you know, do you want your bank manager, for example, being able to sort of uh, have the permissions of a bank clerk or a teller? Um, probably not. They don't need them. Uh, so the principle of least privilege is violated quite nicely by RBAC 96. So one of the things you might want to do is have a sort of more fragmented hierarchy where you take out some of the edges. So in this hierarchy, again, I hope you can see, I've, I've sort of taken out some of the, the lines in the uh, underlying role hierarchy and added a couple in the extended hierarchy. So I've actually added some uh, tuples, some pairs in the admin authority relation. And this enables us to administer this hierarchy quite happily. Um, you couldn't use this, you couldn't uh, administer this hierarchy in ARBAC 97. There's no encapsulated ranges here. Um, I'd also claim that um, my approach is rather simple or rather simpler at least. You may not think it's simple, but it's simpler than ARBAC 97. Um, this is not the full <coughs> set of conditions for um, the, the success or otherwise of an add role command in ARBAC 97. So you've got this relation can modify. Um, well, I'm not going to go through it. I'm, trying, I'm just trying to give you an impression of the fact that it's actually rather complicated. There's two preconditions that have to be satisfied. You have to be able to find something in can modify, which allows you to do it. But also, you have to have this rather odd condition about immediate ranges of the child and the parent. Now, I, I simply haven't got time to tell you what an immediate range is, but suffice to say, it's to do with encapsulated ranges, but there's special kinds of encapsulated ranges. Checking this condition is non-trivial. Right? So this is another precondition, but there's also a post-condition which is that you have to check, if you do add this role, that you haven't broken any encapsulated ranges. So, you know, this, this is quite a job. Um, this is not an easy task to add a role in ARBAC 97. In contrast, you just check whether C and P belong to the administrative scope of A, which I think is, uh, is a bit simpler.
Um, so how do you build a role-based system in, in the wild? Uh, how do you get a role hierarchy? In AR back 97, you've got this can-modify relation. And it's defined by encapsulated ranges in the role hierarchy. Well, that's fine as far as it goes. But if you want to build a hierarchy, where are you supposed to start from? You've got no can-modify relation. Remember, the can-modify relation is static, so you can't change that. So where do you start? How, how do you actually get a role hierarchy in the first place? You would, you would like to think that some administrative model would actually provide a, a means for building role hierarchies as well. Well, in fact, in RHA 4, all you need is for the system to come with an administrative role A and for a single pair in the admin authority relation. And then A controls itself and everything underneath it. Well, so it starts building things underneath. It starts building a role hierarchy. I haven't really got time to do anything else at all. Um, right. Okay. Um, Hmm. I think I'll stop there. It, it, I, I could talk, but it would just be rushed, and I think that would be a shame. So um, let me just skip to the uh, end. Um, just, just to say that I, I, I would say that administrative scope is um, a powerful, powerful primitive concept for role-based administration gives rise to this family of models, RHA 1 through to 4. The only ones I've really used are 1 and 4. The others were sort of intermediate steps, if you like. Um, I'd say it's widely applicable. Um, I, I also claim you can build administrative frameworks for more complex RBAC models. I was hoping to talk a little bit about um, role-based trust management that uh, Professor Lee has um, been looking at. I was also ho hoping to talk about ERBAC 96, which is another model due to Ravi Sandhu. Um, but there are rather natural ways of extending um, administrative scope, certainly to ERBAC 96. It's much more vague whether it works for role-based trust management. Um, but uh, as I say, it, it's flexible, it's widely applicable. Um, what am I trying to do at the moment? Well, I'm still looking at administrative models for these more complex role-based models. Um, separation of duty constraints we haven't really had time to talk about but also how you might administer those um, uh, a graduate student of mine is looking at um, implementing an RBAC API in Java with RHA4 functionality um, which, is, which is quite interesting um, I'm hoping to look at uh, role based trust management a bit more and um, does, does administrative scope, uh, because it, 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 it naturally identifies blocks in a hierarchical structure, can, can we adapt it to different contexts like uh, file systems? You know, you've got, you've got directory structures that are tree-like. Um, can, can we in some way use this uh, concept elsewhere in, in, in access control data structures that are hierarchical? And these are some references, most of which... Uh, you didn't see because I didn't give you about the last 15 slides of my talk. Thank you very much for listening. Are there any questions? <coughs> we still have uh, two or three minutes for questions. Yes. So with your AR8 or model, yep. um, you completely remove any super user privilege in there? 
Is that inherent in this um, structure? Well, that, that's an interesting question. It's not one I, I managed to talk about in, 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 uh, in the talk. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the terminology in, is in the States, but in, in, in Britain we have this notion of a line manager, which is someone you report to. You can actually, in the TISEC paper, there, there's a result about there is a unique line manager for every role. Um, so you have this idea of an administrative role. Each role has a unique line manager. So... Um, it will depend on what you want. But if you want some kind of autonomy uh, and say that only the line manager can make changes, then you are indeed taking away the super user role. But in certain situations, that may not be desirable. So it depends on the application. But you can, depending on how you um, configure the model, um, if you insist that only line managers make changes, then you are effectively doing away with super user. Any other questions? <coughs> Okay. Yeah, uh, I have one question. Uh, maybe could you comment about um, you know um, the role administration in current problem, you know, like table or you know. Um, right. Um, it's not something I know a great deal about. Um, um, this the, the student who's done the um, the implementation of this RBAC API says that. Um, there was a survey in David Ferraiolo's book on role-based access control. Um, the, and I know Ravi Sandhu wrote a report, I think for NIST, on the same subject, on, on administrative functionality in commercial products. Uh, I've only skimmed through that. As far as I'm aware, it's fairly limited. You can, you can typically add user role assignments, permission role assignments. But as far as I'm aware, and my, my grad student confirmed this, there is no really convincing model for role, sorry, hierarchy administration in any commercial product. Um, but I'm, I'm taking that to some extent on, on trust. That's, that's what my students told me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much.